Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Dr. Don Klum. a teeter-totter, an inverse relationship between vitamin D and insulin, okay, and insulin resistance. So when insulin and insulin resistance is up, vitamin D is forced down. Just like we said with the immune system, you can force it down. It doesn't matter what you do. Until you let it go, it won't come up. And so you can do all these different things, but as long as that insulin resistance is high, it doesn't matter if you live in Florida like you do and you're a sun bunny. I test them all the time. Beautiful tan, low vitamin D. People up in Washington State where my wife's practice is, you know, they're health nuts and they don't get much sun, so they take tons of vitamin D. But if they have insulin resistance, they still have low vitamin D, right? Because of that insulin factor. And so by having this chronic overall exposure to insulin, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, you're forcing down vitamin D. Therefore, vitamin D can't block that door and it's allowing the COVID-19 to connect to that ACE2 receptor, infect the cell, and start the whole process of the infection. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Hope you're doing amazing today. I'm excited to bring back Dr. Don Klum. He was actually on episode nine of the Keto Camp podcast, and you could hear his amazing story of his 30-day fast, how he fasted off his skin cancer, We talked about insulin resistance and diabetes, which we'll get a little bit into today. We talked about why counting calories does not work and so much more. So go listen to that one after this episode is done. We'll put a link for that down below. On this episode, we talk about the coronavirus, COVID, and he shares a powerful study from JAMA, which came out on April 22nd, 2020, about 5,700 cases of COVID And there were five health issues that were the vast majority. And that was hypertension, obesity, diabetes, morbid obesity, and coronary artery disease. And what do they all have in common? Insulin resistance. And we talk about that. We talk about why vitamin D and insulin resistance have an inverted relationship and how that actually affects the ACE receptor site for the coronavirus and how it could cause problems when you have high amounts of blood sugar and low amounts of vitamin D. How much vitamin D should you take? Should you also take fat-soluble vitamins with it? What are the hidden things weakening your immune system? How exercise improves immune function? How fasting can strengthen your immune system? Why thoughts are our things? We get into what negative stinking thinking can do to the body and how positive uplifting thoughts can heal the body and so much more. You're really going to enjoy this conversation with Dr. Don Klum. He is brilliant and I can't wait to bring him on the show. Before I bring him on, I want to thank you for being on the Keto Camp podcast. You know, out of all the podcasts out there, you chose this one. 
and it really means a lot to me and our team here at Keto Camp because we're on a mission to educate and to inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth. So thank you. If you're not subscribed yet, hit that subscribe button. We bring the thought leaders in the world when it comes to health and wellness and fitness and entrepreneurship really on this podcast. We release two brand new podcasts every single week. If you'd like to learn about keto and fasting, I have a free ebook called The Keto Kickstart Guide. Head over to ketokickstartguide.com to learn more about it, how to crush keto, how to do it the right way. There's also some meal plans in there, ketokickstartguide.com. If you'd like to check out the supplements that I use and approve of, I have curated them all for you over at ketocampsupplements.com. Remember, that's camp with a K. That's ketocampsupplements.com. We'll put a link for that down below. Let's get into this conversation with the amazing Dr. Don Klum. Dr. Don Klum graduated from Life University in Marietta, Georgia, 1997 with a degree in human nutrition. He then moved to Life Chiropractic College West in California, where he graduated with his doctorate of chiropractic in 2000. After graduation, Dr. Don Klum moved to San Jose, Costa Rica, where he was invited to work with the Costa Rican Olympic Committee and Athletes. Dr. Don Klum participated in the National Central American and Caribbean and Central American Games as the team chiropractor and as the official chiropractor for two professional soccer teams. Dr. Don Klum, welcome back to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you, Ben. It's great to be here. I really admire all that you're doing and the information you're putting out, so I'm honored to be here. I'm looking forward to this. I am too. I, I love the work that you're doing. And if those of you are interested in listening to the first interview I did with Dr. Don Klum, you could go listen to that. It's episode number nine of the Keto Camp podcast where we talked about insulin, weight gain, uh, how to reverse type 2 diabetes, the vitamin D and insulin connection, which we'll talk a little bit more about today, and your fasting experiments. So that's episode number nine. On today's episode, we're going to deep dive into the immune system, vitamin D, fasting, and a lot of uh, information that's relevant to what's happening in the world. So I'd love to start here, Dr. Klum. I'd love to start with this quote from one of your Facebook posts, and I'm going to read it right here. Quote, most people don't need to boost their immune system slash response. They need to stop reducing it, unquote. What do you mean by that? Well, the, your immune system always works at 100%. That what we see in that is depends on what we're doing to it and what we're giving it and what environments it's always working the best. So if you want to see a better response, you need to allow it some room to run, right? And so just like detox, the first step in detox is to stop retoxing. So the idea that if you if you want more output from your immune system, that you have to do something extra to boost it, doesn't work that way. It's not a supply-driven system. It's a demand-driven system. So you create the demand, and it will step up. And the way you do that is you stop hindering it. You stop suppressing it. And so if most people are doing X, Y, Z, and that suppresses their immune system, they don't have to boost that system. They have to stop suppressing it. And naturally, automatically, and powerfully, it'll come right back up to where it needs to be. So it's really about removing that interference and letting the body do what it's designed to do. Absolutely, because if you're suppressing it, it doesn't matter what 
quote unquote immune boosting vitamins, supplements, herbs, pills, powders, or potions you throw in there, nothing's going to happen. It's, it's not going to go, oh, look, we got all these things, let's jump. No, you have to stop the suppression first. Once the immune system is working properly, efficiently, effectively, then you can give it some raw materials to make it really get, get cranking. But until then, as long as you're suppressing it, you're not going to quote unquote boost it. And what are what are the most obvious things that are suppressing the immune system, followed by some surprising things that are suppressing it? Yeah, especially knowing your your audience, I think a lot of these will be second nature to them. So number one is is sugar. Sugar just crushes the immune system. Sugar can crush the immune system by 60% and it can stay down that low for four hours plus after you eat it. And so it's a standard American out there eating a big sugary breakfast of Fruit Loops, milk and orange juice, bam, just nailed their immune system by 60%. Hit a mid-morning, you know, three hours later, hit a mid-morning snack and maybe had some some crackers and some cheese or whatever. Boom, they're keeping it there. And then lunch, and it's, so basically they're living the entire day at a 40% expression of their immune system simply by getting that sugar or things that turn into sugar so regularly throughout the day. So that goes hand in hand with the first two recommendations. One is stop the sugar. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Added sugar, processed sugar of any kind, doesn't matter if it's cane sugar, organic sugar, mung fruit sugar, all these things that people ask about. Stop the sugar, you know, which gives you plenty of options of real whole foods. And then stop eating so frequently. You don't necessarily have to cut back on the amount, just the frequency. So just stick, eat all your food and breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three, three meals a day. Start with that. You can evolve into other things that, that you go into in your groups, and I do too, with fasting and stuff later. But if you just stop snacking, cut the sugar, you will watch the entire system start to shift in your favor. And you mentioned it's also those foods that turn into sugar. So a lot of people hear, oh, yeah, I'm not eating sugar. I'm staying away from those cereals. But they're having a couple of slices of whole wheat bread or whole grain rice. Is that also weakening the immune system? Yeah, uh, bread of any kind, including whole wheat and, and so forth, will start to turn to sugar from the enzymes in your mouth as you're chewing it. It's, it's already, if you chew it long enough, it'll taste sweet because the, the amylase in, in your mouth is breaking down some of those compounds into sugar. So basically, baked products turn to sugar and it says turn to glucose and, and so forth. Uh, so that, that's on um, like rice. You know, rice, it has a higher glycemic index, not as high as sugar or bread, but it is a little bit higher, but it has a strong insulin effect. It's very insulinogenic, the same insulinogenic as, say, a, a 12 ounce soda would have. So you got to keep that in mind. If you're going for a carb or a starch, the least insulinogenic starch would be a pasta, you know, like a whole grain pasta. Surprisingly enough, that, that was a surprise to me when I learned it. It was counterintuitive. But if you're going to have some kind of side with your meal and you need to have that, instead of choosing the roll, instead of choosing a bowl of rice, you know, go for some whole grain pasta and you'll have the least negative effect, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. So, so those are obvious. And most of the, the listeners and viewers understand that and they're doing more of a ketogenic lifestyle with fasting now let's keep that into consideration if somebody is already not doing that they're not taking those hits from sugar they're staying low carb high fat and they're not snacking all day long what are some surprising things that are weakening the immune system well there's a number of different sometimes too much fiber can affect the immune system because fiber is not digestible it's an irritant it, and it slows the system down. It can cause constipation. We, we give fiber a lot of credit for years, but there's, there's some question there. 
right? And because it's insoluble, we don't digest it. It's an irritant and expands in a, in a system that doesn't always have room for expansion. So that can actually slow down the absorption of, of nutrients and so forth uh, and affect the immune system. You know, as far as the, the keto side, some, anything that's processed. So some people are taking in like processed protein, like powders, like whey protein and so forth. Whey protein is as insulinogenic as sugar or even more so, white bread. So even though there's no sugar in it, it's all protein, it might have no carbs, the insulin effect is through the roof. And so that's something not everyone thinks about. So any processed protein, any processed food, when you eat any food that's processed, the body interprets it differently than a whole food. It doesn't, it's never seen it before. So the softer it is, the more malleable it is, the more processed it is, the body is kind of, it reacts with a high insulin response which is, is very interesting. It just doesn't recognize it the same, and it doesn't matter what's on the label. It's how the body interprets it. Are there any benefits to consuming fiber? Well, I mean, it all depends on what you're starting with and where you're going and what your plan is. The average American, yeah, because they're not getting any and they're eating junk. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you can help with that in, in, in this, but overall, long-term, the more fiber someone needs, usually the more constipated and, and issues they have, well, what I work with people, as you clean up the diet, you can have fiber in your diet. Just don't go out of your way to get extra. Don't take the fiber supplement. Don't try to count grams of fiber and because there's been books out that say you need 35 grams a day. You need this. You need that. People are forcing in extra. Don't don't worry about it. If it's in a, it's in a recipe that comes up, don't you don't know, pick it out you know, or anything like that. But don't go for the extra. Don't go out of your way to get extra, especially if you're already on that strict keto model. All right. So a lot of people question, as you'll get a lot, as you got, you get a lot. Uh, what, what do I break a fast with? And they think, oh, I want to break the fast with something light and easy to digest. So they think of plant food. They think, you know, of a salad or vegetables, you know, steamed vegetables that's nice and easy on the system. It's actually the hardest on the system. The way we judge how it is on the system is how it moves through and the residue it produces. Fat and protein are almost a zero residue food, which means if that's all you're eating, very little comes out, right, directly from that. Whereas fiber, since it's indigestible, a lot of it, if not all of it, comes out because it's indigestible. So it's a high residue food. So when you're coming off a fast, to eat a high residue food, especially one that expands in the gut, can be very irritating and a problem. Like when I did my third, we talked in the last interview, when I did my 30-day fast, I broke it with a chicken wing party, right? And we had chicken wings uh, with a non-sugar sauce. And so that's fat and protein. And you know, I didn't eat a lot, but that's what I broke it with and because that's very easy on the system. Yeah, that is, uh, I remember that story about the chicken wing. So let's stay on this topic of breaking a fast. What are your thoughts on when somebody breaks a fast, let's say it's 24-hour, 32-hour fast, and they break it with a combination of fat and carbohydrates? What's wrong with that? What, what are the issues with breaking a fast with fat and carbohydrates? Well, assuming you've got some metabolic flexibility going, it's not your first time going through this, you're working through this, you're quick to get into the, to the metabolic state of low insulin, uh, higher ketones. Your mTOR is going to be regulated very well. You're in a good state. So when you break the fast with protein, you don't want to go too high because you want to you know, splash a whole bunch of mTOR rebound effect going on. And the bottom line is, if it's an insulin-producing carb, you don't want to have it with protein and fat because high insulin exposure with high fat and protein doesn't exist in nature. That's an unnatural state. We can only do it now with our food combining and our processed food 
type of things. So if you're going to go protein and carb, it better be a very low insulinogenic uh, carb. So, you know, leafy, like a salad, a leafy veggie type of thing. I wouldn't go high fiber, so I wouldn't be doing like broccoli and cauliflower or anything like that. But, you know, leafy salad, uh, something more you know, that's got some volume, but not a whole lot of insulin effect, if any. Will it also slow down fat burning if you're, if you're breaking a fat, an intermittent fast, let's say 20 hours every single day with a combination of fat and carbs? Will that slow down fat loss? If insulin is, is triggered, it will. Insulin is what maintains that gateway. Insulin's primary role is not blood sugar as far as getting into your cells and energy and all that kind of stuff. Insulin's job first is from the beta cell on the, in the pancreas, acts on the alpha cell in the pancreas. The alpha cell is what produces glucagon. Glucagon is what stimulates the liver to let more glucose into our blood. So the first step in the cascade of insulin is to stop the liver from putting more sugar into your system. At the same time, at the level of the cell, in the Krebs cycle, where we make ATP for energy, there's two doors there. One is for ketones and fat. One is for glucose and carbs. Insulin, just as it acts on the liver, acts on, that, on those doors and closes the fat door. So you, you will stop fat burning at the, cell, at the Krebs cycle subcellular level right there. So the best combination would be protein and fat. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right, let's transition to a study you posted from JAMA, April 22nd, 2020, about 5,700 cases and the top five health issues, and the vast majority of them had hypertension, obesity, diabetes, morbid obesity, coronary artery disease, and you asked in your post, what do these five health conditions have in common? And the answer is insulin resistance. So talk about that study. Yeah, that study is very revealing. I mean, it was 94.3% of people with COVID had problems, it came down to those five things, and they're all insulin-centric. They're all insulin-centric. Even the cardiovascular stuff, that's a little bit slow for the public to, to connect to insulin, but it's a cardiometabolic issue. You know, a heart disease in general and all those ramifications, whether it's coronary artery disease or blockages in the heart and, and, and other things, come from an insulin-based problem. Okay, and so even the American College of, of uh, Cardiologists and these different groups have put out position papers on that years ago um, about how ins it, all of this is insulin-centric. So, so we're not making a stretch. We're not you know, jumping in logic here. All of those, and we know that fat gain and fat maintenance on our body, as in overweight and obesity, insulin problem. Diabetes, obviously, insulin problem, right? And then the, the heart disease uh, and stuff and the inflammatory artery issues insulin problem. So they all come down to an insulin issue. And basically, we call it insulin resistance as a term. You know, you can call, also call it metabolic syndrome because that's really what it is. And all of them are there. And, and so when looking at that, I find that very interesting. And so why, why is the insulin dysregulation make someone so susceptible to other issues? Well, why is this damaging every aspect of the body? And in the big bad bug discussion, it comes down to insulin's role at, on the cell membrane on what it protects as far as the different receptors and COVID-19, okay? And so vitamin D is the gatekeeper for the doorway into the cell for COVID-19. 
Okay, it's called an ACE, ACE, angiotensin converting enzyme number two, ACE2 receptor on the cell is what COVID-19 attaches to to get in, infect the cell, and start to do its damage. Okay, just think of it as a door. That's a door, COVID-19 has the key. But it can only get through there if, there's, if vitamin D is not on its job. Vitamin D is the guardian to that door. It blocks COVID-19 from using its key to get into the cell to infect it and so forth. Okay, when vitamin D is low, that door becomes very flimsy and COVID-19 can get in very easily. So then the question becomes, all right, vitamin D is a gatekeeper, keeps COVID out, why is it low? Or how do we make it stronger? And what we need to realize is there's a teeter-totter, an inverse relationship between vitamin D and insulin, okay, and insulin resistance. So when insulin and insulin resistance is up, vitamin D is forced down. Just like we said with the immune system, you can force it down. It doesn't matter what you do until you let it go. It won't come up. And so you can do all these different things, but as long as that insulin resistance is high, it doesn't matter if you live in Florida like you do and you're a sun bunny. I test them all the time. Beautiful tan, low vitamin D. People up in Washington State, where my wife's practice is, you know, they're health nuts and they don't get much sun, so they take tons of vitamin D. But if they have insulin resistance, they still have low vitamin D, right? Because of that insulin factor. And so by having this, over, this chronic overall exposure to insulin, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, you're forcing down vitamin D. Therefore, vitamin D can't block that door. And it's allowing the COVID-19 to connect to that ACE2 receptor, infect the cell, and start the whole process of the infection. So it's all related. It's, it's, it's a chain of events. So why is insulin based issues make someone so susceptible because that insulin based issue is also su suppressing vitamin D suppress vitamin D allows that COVID free access to the door to get into the cell in the lung and in the kidney and it does and it proliferates without any resistance there and so that's that's the two elephants in the room it's not about the bug it's about that doorway is about vitamin D in controlling that system and being suppressed and it's being, mainly being suppressed by insulin resistance, keeping it down. That's why you can take, take – I tell people to take vitamin D. Go ahead. Do it now. I'm doing it. I'm doing extra. I'm giving it to my family. But I'm also making sure I'm living that insulin-friendly diet and lifestyle to drive that side down. Otherwise, you can slam it all you want. It might be a Band-Aid. It might not even do anything, right? And so by dropping the insulin resistance, you, you tilt the teeter-totter. The vitamin D naturally can do its job, start to come up, block the door, and, and the virus can't get in. So that goes back to what we were talking about, ketogenic type of uh, insulin-friendly lifestyle with intermittent fasting. Both those techniques will lower insulin, and in combination with taking vitamin D and getting more sun, that's how you're able to stack the cards in your favor. So when, if and when you do contract COVID-19 or any virus for that matter, the vitamin D will block that virus from getting into the cell. Uh, and that's one of the main one of the uses of vitamin D. I also see the same thing, Doctor Klum, with clients who live in Miami and get plenty of sun. They're they're tan, but they're insulin resistant. I'll look at their vitamin D and I'll see twenties. I'll see thirties, and and they think it's it's in the reference range, right? Which is thirty to seventy, I believe, on the lab report. But for me, I want it over sixty. Where, where do you want somebody's vitamin D uh, blood markers? Depends on the reference range. Some of them go down as low as 25, which are bad. Um, 
I, you know, 60 is baseline for me, right? I want to be over 80. I want to be close to 100. The highest I've ever tested was uh, 193. And great health. He's a medical doctor, takes good care of himself, been doing it for years. I just saw this week 168, you know, no, no overt issues. Uh, so, I mean, the toxicity issue that people think about is, uh, is clinically not really, is not found at this point. It's theoretically, because medicine still classifies vitamin D as a vitamin, as a fat-soluble vitamin, which is not. It's a pro-hormone. You know, it's, it's much more than that. And so fat-soluble hormones like E and A, yeah, they have a toxicity level. You get too much A, and you can have, you can have problems, right? And so they lump D in that, and it, it just is not the same. It's not a vitamin. It doesn't work that way. And as long as your other lifestyle efforts are in line, the concept of taking too much or becoming toxic is little to none. Does vitamin A, E, and K have a similar job of blocking COVID-19 from entering the cell? No. Vitamin D is very unique in that. Because again, it's not a vitamin. It's a pro-hormone. And it's the original hormone on the planet. It's a major player. And it doesn't just block that doorway. It regulates and mediates the entire RAS, which is the renin angiotensin system, where this little doorway I'm talking about is just part of that. It's a much bigger thing. And, it, and when, it's, when vitamin D is off, it throws off the entire system and it compounds the negative effect. That's why people, when, they, when they're susceptible, they get this virus, they go down so fast because one, it's already low, then this happens and it lowers, then this happens and it lowers. And it's just like a storm, a perfect storm of, of susceptibility and destructions. It's really sad. So in that sense, everyone's talking about this is not much worse than the flu. It's not as far as danger, overall danger and overall contagiousness and stuff like that. But in those who are susceptible, it, it hits hard and fast, much harder and faster than the flu. But that's a very small percentage of people, right? And so, but it is a real thing. So what about somebody who wants to take vitamin D? Should they be taking it with the other fat-soluble vitamins? Is that a good idea? Well, this is an interesting concept. You see this getting thrown around. You need to have K in your system, K2, to ideally manage vitamin D. And you need to have minerals in there, such as calcium, magnesium, so on. But there's not a ratio. Because your body makes vitamin D from an outside exposure, like from sunlight, and doesn't make the other vitamins, it doesn't make sense that they have to be in any kind of ratio. But you have to have some. And because of the standard American diet and because of the chemicals in the diet that deplete vitamins and minerals, it makes sense to take more because we're not getting it naturally. K2 is hard to build up naturally in today's world. You know, years and years ago, no big deal. Just like magnesium. Magnesium was everywhere. We're absorbing it, you know, and then so on. But now it's really hard to get and keep. And so... We supplement it for ideal processing of the vitamin D, but there's not a ratio. So as long as you have some extra going on, you can crank the vitamin D and it's okay, but it doesn't have to be in balance. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's uh, interesting. Uh, now, what about this? What about somebody who is taking just vitamin D and they're taking, let's say, 20,000 IU per day. They're eating uh, a standard American diet, so they're not getting a lot of quality fat-soluble vitamins in their diet but they're just taking vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D, would that create a functional deficiency with the other fat-soluble vitamins? No. No, because again, it's not a supply-driven system. It's a demand-driven system. But if, say, just talking about K2 and the minerals, if those are low and you're cranking the vitamin D, you're just not going to 
It might show up in your blood, but you're not going to utilize it in the cells. It's going to pass through. Just because it's in the blood doesn't mean that you are utilizing it efficiently and effectively, right? Just think of hemochromatosis, right? That's extra iron in our blood to a point that is a problem. Iron is a mineral, right? It is needed for health. And so you measure it, there's too much, right? It's not getting in because it's not getting absorbed, right? It's not, it's not going, so they have to actually clean it out every now and then with that. So you can have a lot of vitamin D. This happens when people are taking uh, statin medications, cholesterol-lowering medications. Though some of these medications, actually you'll see a vitamin D number go up, sometimes double. But they're not getting any more exposure to it. They're not in the sun more. They're not taking more. So where is it? How is it doubling? It's because it's not getting in the cells and it's backing up in the blood, just like that iron did in hemochromatosis. And so you have a higher number. People say, oh, this is great. They say, no, it's not great because it's not... It doesn't do us any good in the blood. It's got to get in the cells. It's got to get to the cell membrane. It's got to be able to be absorbed and do what it's supposed to do, not just hang around in the blood, right? And so you want that K2 up just to, in general, just to a certain point so that you can absorb it better into this on the cellular level and, and through the intestines. The intestines are a big player with vitamin D utility, and that, that can be a part of it. So, you know, low K2 or cholesterol-lowering meds, both can affect how we utilize the vitamin D that's in our system. And so if you test someone that, like you said, for vitamin D, you always got to ask if they're on a, a cholesterol-lowering medication, right? Because that, that can give you a false high. Interesting. Staying on this topic, because I've read and I've heard, and uh, Dr. Pompa has also said that they all, vitamin A, D, E, N, K, compete for the same receptor sites on our cells. And when you take too much of one or the other, it can create a functional deficiency. So you're saying you haven't seen that? No. I mean, there's one thing that, again, D is not a fat-soluble vitamin. It doesn't function the same way. It doesn't make evolutionary sense that they would compete. I understand the concept. And ratios are important, right? You know, ratios are important. But it's not, we're also not chemistry sets, right? So we can't just, you know, play the numbers and expect the, again, we got to create the demand. All of that will balance out on its own if you're doing the rest of the lifestyle, right? If you're just taking these things and trying to figure out ratios and this, good, good luck. That's just not, it doesn't work that way. But if you're moving your body the right way, if you're sleeping well, if you have your right meal timing and spacing and, and you're doing real food and this and that, then you don't even, really don't have to worry. You don't have to get into all the numbers. You just you start taking it and you utilize it much better. Whereas someone who's just like saw this podcast or video and said, hey, I'm doing nothing, but I'm going to take vitamin D and I'll be good. I mean, that's a pipe dream. That's a very medical-minded thing, you know, magic pill. It's just, it's just, we should know better by now. And, and you can treat natural things very medicinally if you're not careful. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 
to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden, your fat-burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy, so you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. So let's talk about sleep. You brought it up. How important is it right now, more than ever, I believe, to focus on quality sleep? Well, we're starting to see on the news, they call it quarantine syndrome, which is a stupid name. We're not in quarantine, blah, blah, blah. You can call it isolation syndrome, right? When we start to withdraw and we're doing this, we're not getting out. We're always, our whole system gets thrown off. You know, some people won't even leave their house. You know, people drop packages off at their door and then they wait till they're gone and they bring them in and they, you know, people have gone over the edge on a lot of this. So the isolation, their sleep system gets thrown off. Their eating system gets thrown off. You know, your ability to focus gets thrown off. They're spending so much time either on a computer, on their personal device, or watching the news that they're just bombarded by these artificial waves, blue lights, you know, the whole nine yards, right? So everything, now it's starting, we're starting to see a critical mass hit where it's been a month or so and just, we're beyond stir crazy. Our brain is starting to create new connections that, you know, they're workarounds, but they're, they're not good. They're not good, but it's a self-defense mechanism. And so we're processing things differently. And, and so you'll watch irritability, suicide rates over 42,000 already this year, right? That's higher than, than ever. That's just this year. It's not even halfway through the year, right? And you'll see, uh, you know, domestic violence is going up. Uh, you know, abuse is going up. You just, you know, alcohol in California, the consumption is up over 40% just alone, right? And just, and people are struggling. They're not eating right and, and so on. And so sleep gets disturbed, you know, slowly at first, but now they're off. They're going to bed later. They're waking up earlier or they're waking up in the middle of the night or it's just a low quality of sleep. And that's a big deal. Sleep, sleep, I was just through it. I have some books here. I wrote a program on sleep. I wrote a book for my practice on sleep. My opinion, the biggest role of sleep is when you hit the right level of sleep, your brain actually shrinks down. Think of the brain neurons like flowers. They open up to the sun, right? They look at the sun, they absorb it. That's how we are during the day. At night, when we hit the right sleep, that flower or that neuron closes down. What that does is it makes space between them so that the cerebral spinal fluid can go through and literally wash the brain out, clean out the brain, goes into the lymph system and gets drained through the body. If that flower, if that neuron doesn't collapse during sleep, you don't get that, that cleansing. You don't get that cleaning. You don't get that defrag of the system and it builds up over time and it starts to mess with also perception, emotions, uh, you know, you, you name it. And 
one night of, of disrupted sleep can cause insulin resistance symptoms the next day, right? For, they did studies on college kids. If they kept them up four nights with no sleep, they started to have schizophrenic episodes. You know, really, I mean, we're talking major impact. Our, our, our sanity and mental fitness comes from whatever's happening when we sleep. So it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And people neglect it like crazy. And they're falling asleep watching their TV or computer or, or device. Some people even put their device under their pillow, right? Because it's their alarm or whatever, you know. And so sleep is a huge, that's a secret, secret, secret weapon. Right there, work on sleep constantly. We, I give a whole sleep summary, which I'll be happy to, to give you and your people uh, in a PDF. And it's just all the stuff that we recommend for sleep. And what I tell people is keep it visible, put it on your refrigerator and keep it there. And not that you have to do all of it tonight, but you start working on these things. You darken your room, make sure no extra light gets in there, including the little green light for my Mac that I, I have plugged in. I take that thing out from across the room get the phone out of the way you know i'll even put tape over my smoke detector red light if, if i if i think it's affecting me right dark keep it cool 67 degrees you want to cool in there don't eat too close to bedtime don't drink too close to bedtime things like that you you know disconnect from your devices at least an hour before bed do a, a breathing or a mindfulness or a prayer type of meditation before you go to bed. Things like that, work on it, take a hot bath. When you, when you artificially raise your temperature like a bath or a sauna or exercise, it starts to cool down. And it's the cooling down of the body that starts to trigger the neurotransmitters, the serotonin, melatonin, tryptophan, all that stuff in our brain to help us fall asleep. So that can help get you going. That's why the old adage of warm milk before bed is the same thing. Going through, have a nice non-caffeinated tea or something like that. You know, chamomile or sleepy time or whatever, whatever you're into. But the more of this kind of stuff that you do, the more you're, you're hedging your bets. Because a lot of people go, I sleep fine until they sleep better. And they go, oh, I wasn't fine. That wasn't good. And so don't assume you're sleeping well right now and blow this off. Make it part of your, your regimen, part of your program. Amen. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think for, for me personally, nothing affects me more negatively than sleep. I could eat like crap. I could sit all day on my butt and it will affect me. But if I got one bad night of sleep, it will affect me more than that. And I believe it's more important than diet and exercise combined and it's free. And those tips you gave are so valuable. So keto campers, I hope you are taking notes here. Cold bedroom, warm bath, get rid of the lights, chamomile tea. These are all things that I do and I make sure I prioritize my, my sleep as well. Question on the insulin resistance from a poor night of sleep or high insulin from a poor night of sleep. Is that because I've read studies that show higher levels of cortisol the next day from poor sleep and when cortisol goes up, insulin falls. Is that, is that part of the, what's happening there? You just covered a lot of ground. Cortisol is what helps us wake up in the morning. So cortisol levels are higher in the morning because that's what get, gets us from sleep, helps us wake up, starts our day. It's a normal thing. And when you don't sleep, what happens is that response gets shifted earlier. And so it starts to mess with that, right? And so a lot of people will say, oh, I woke up at four but i could fall asleep at seven again that's because that's just they just shifted that around and so there's a natural evolution of how we go to sleep when we sleep and how we come out 
And cortisol is part of that. It's a normal part. It's natural. It's not, it's not a problem. But when they're out of whack, then there's a problem, right? And when we're sleeping is when we build muscle, burn fat. And that's hormonal. And naturally, if we're not sleeping, there's a natural suppression of insulin at that point. And when we're not sleeping, it does, doesn't happen. That affects the rollout of, of cortisol and the cascade starts to go, right? So it's, it's, kind, it's kind of complicated hormonally like that. But uh, not sleeping is like the linchpin to keeping that all going together. And so if you don't sleep, you throw that off one side or the other, it's all going to be affected. Yeah, well said. Let's stay on the topic of cortisol and how our thoughts affect our body and our physiology, including our stress hormones. You posted uh, recently about thoughts being things, and I truly believe that. So what? Uh, elaborate more about thoughts being things. Yeah, well, touching on cortisol, cortisol is not the enemy. Cortisol is a phenomenal thing. It's, it's very important. People think of it as a stress hormone. It's really anti-stress hormone. People think of it as pro-inflammatory. It's really the anti-inflammatory. You think of medically prednisone, right? Prednisone shots, corticosteroids that you would inject into an injury that drops the inflammation. That's synthetic cortisol. That's what it is. So when your body submits cortisol, it has a short-term effect that could be considered challenging to the system. But then the long-term is that it brings down the inflammation and it calms the system down. Problem is when it goes unchecked. Inflammation, we don't have a problem with chronic inflammation. That's a really misunderstood concept. We don't have too much inflammation. We don't have enough resolution of that in inflammation. It goes inflammation, point, peak point, resolution. It goes up, does its job, then it comes down. But if it goes up, does its job, and stays there, now we got an issue. That's what they're calling chronic inflammation. It's not the inflammatory side. We want that to work. That's your immune system. That'll save your life. We need to be able to bring it down. And this is the parasympathetic. This is the other side of that coin that is weak and being held down, suppressed like the immune system and, and so forth in the system. So the thoughts, insulin and cortisol, when they're not behaving, they work like two minions together. Cortisol is a big bully on the playground. And, and I mean, uh, insulin is a big bully on the playground and cortisol is a little minion, like in the Christmas story, those two nasty kids that picked on all of the kids. When insulin and cortisol are on the playground, all the other hormones scatter and they do some weird stuff, right? That they normally wouldn't do. But when they're out of whack and they go, they, they bring each other up together and they, they you know, when, when going, because these are a couple of the only few hormones in our system that you can activate 24-7, by your thoughts, by your actions or your inactions, by exercise or lack of exercise, by your food or poor choices of food or timing, all of that, you can stimulate insulin and cortisol all day long, and that'll just throw off the cascade. So we, that's why we have to be conscious about our resilience, which is for stress, building resilience to stress, how, we, how you know, we are a biopsychosocial being. I teach psychology at the chiropractic college, and that's the model, biopsychosocial, biophysical. We're talking a lot about what we do physical. Psycho, what are we doing for our mind? Psycho, not as in psychotic, as in psychology, as in thinking, as in beliefs. And what are you doing? Are you meditating? You know, three days a week, I do a 10-mile hike around the lake up in the hills. Early, I start at 5 in the morning. You know, I get going. I get to one point about an hour in and I sit on the side of the lake at the water and I watch the sunrise and I do, I do a meditation. I start with some breathing and do some silent meditation. Then I keep going on my hike and I get to the pinnacle of one of the hills that overlooks the lake. And then I sit there and I do a mindfulness meditation. I do a body scan 
And then I do a spatial awareness where, cause that's when all the birds start to come alive and you can hear them. You can imagine where they are in space. That one's close, that one's far, that's a duck down on the water, that whatever it is. And that's a very powerful mindfulness really brings you in the moment. And as a different type of meditation, right? And that's to quiet the mind. All of this exercise, the way we're eating, the way we're thinking is to drive up that parasympathetic healing, healthy response in our nervous system and kind of calm the sympathetic. We're not trying to force it down. We're just trying to calm it, right? Most people think we're in sympathetic overdrive, right? That we are sympathetic dominance. That the sympathetic stress response is cranked up. We might be, but the bigger problem is we are suppressing the parasympathetic. It's like in a car, if the gas is a sympathetic, the parasympathetic is the brakes. And most people aren't driving 100 miles per hour crashing into walls and dying. You know, this is a chronic issue. What they're doing is they're driving 15 miles per hour through their neighborhood, but they have no brakes. So they're hitting everything, bumping, grinding, going, you know, and over time, they're falling apart. That's a more realistic model of what our society is doing. And so it's not about being stuck with your foot slammed on the gas in sympathetic mode. It's that we can't slow the thing down with parasympathetic. We can get that inflammation up, but we can't bring it back down. We got inflammation side. We don't have resolution. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. Right? We got insulin up and overexposed. Now, how do we bring it down? We're not bringing it down. So they work hand in hand like that. So we look at them as, as insulin and cortisol, healthy, happy hormones that can you know, make your life fantastic when they're in the right balance. And they, in today's world, they will not go in the right balance unless you work at it. If you're watching the news all day long, guess what? You're, there's no way you're going to balance. You can't, you can't. Eight hours of this dreary news no i can't meditate that away you know you gotta you gotta mediate these activities and, and balance it out through your entire lifestyle and some things you're gonna have to cut off those negative people in your life that are cranking out the negativity right now might be a good time to cut them off turn off that tv you know a lot of people out there i see some comments on facebook funny comments like oh did you know that when the tv's off the screen is black because they didn't know because they're always on right you know it's it's, it's funny joke but you know we're so attached to those things. Time to detach. Yeah, well said. I agree with that. I love your morning routine. I'm, I'm impressed. What, what time do you go to sleep? I am in bed and asleep by 10, if not earlier. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. You know, the, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Roger Sahoy, he says that, and it's, it's a great little thing, every hour of sleep you get before midnight is like two hours of sleep after midnight. I was like, that's interesting. I can, that's a visual and an analogy I can, I can steal and I can grab onto. And so, yeah, so I, I like that. And then I like waking up. I, you know, that, that trip around the lake takes me two hours and 50 minutes plus my meditation time. So I'm home, it's three and a half hours. Everyone goes, oh my gosh, so much time. Not if you're up at 4.30 and you start at five, I'm still dressed, showered, ready to go by 8.30 to start my day. And I've done all that, you know, and I wear a 20 pound weight vest and a 20 pound weight belt. You know, and I, I make it into a power hike and, uh, you know, I can't do it every day. So I do it three days a week and uh, that's how I like to start today. And you're outside. There's a term in Japanese in Japan they call, essentially, I think it's translated to treeing, treeing, tree therapy. Basically, they're saying go out and walk in the woods. Get, you know, when you get in the woods, instant chemical changes in your body. Phenomenal. Oxytocin cranking, cortisol dropping. Things are nice, right? Open spaces. You know, when you go into an open space, a big field, somewhere where you can see nature in the distance, that, that works very well as well. And when you're out there, say hi to people. 
because by you saying hi to them, you're cranking your own oxytocin, which crushes cortisol. Oxytocin is the courage hormone. It's the anti-cortisol. It's a phenomenally underappreciated hormone. You know, so, you know, do these things. Connection. Connecting with people. Pet your dog. Give compliments. Receive them well. Smile. Laugh. It's all oxytocin generating machines. I love it. I love oxytocin. I get my dose every single day with my dog, my girlfriend, going for my my walks, going on my rooftop and just breathing the air, walking down to the beach when they reopen it, of course. Uh, so yes, I'm all for that. I love I love what you shared there. The the final thing, actually, there's two two things I want to close on. Let's talk about exercise. You touched upon it briefly. You have your morning routine where you're moving. How does exercise improve immune function? All right. So Immune function operates on the parasympathetic side of the teeter-totter. Sympathetic, rev up stress, fight or flight, parasympathetic, rest and digest, heal, so on. Growth, repair, all that kind of stuff. So in order for your immune system to work optimally, you have to be in parasympathetic, which means you can't be cranking sympathetic. So stress shifts it the wrong way. A worry shifts it the wrong way. Lack of sleep shifts it the wrong way. Uh, Things like that. So you want to make sure, and insulin is a sympathetic stimulator. So when you're chronically, even if you're managing your stress pretty well, you're getting some sleep, and your insulin's still up, you still have your foot on that gas a bit automatically. And so that'll suppress uh, the immune system. So there's something called metabolic flexibility or glycogen flexibility in your muscles that play into the metabolism of your body that come from exercise. Okay, glycogen is a storage molecule of sugar in your liver and in your muscles and a little bit in your brain believe it or not but another story so it's like pockets that muscle has pockets to store that sugar for later use now that ability that glycogen storage can shift four thousand percent between someone who's completely sedentary and a competitive athlete someone who trains regularly somewhere in the middle so that's still a two thousand percent shift the more glycogen flexibility and the more pocket space you have to be able to take that sugar out when needed and when there's extra, put it in there, the more your metabolism, insulin and everything and blood sugar and all that gets affected. And so you want to be glycogen flexible. And the way to, in, in certain things, stimulate increased glycogen storage capacity, open up those pockets and some things don't as far as exercise. Intensity opens up those pockets, gives you more pocket space. Okay, gives you more pocket space. So things like weightlifting, heavy weightlifting, and it's got to be heavy to trigger that. Uh, but it's weightlifting is one of them. Interval training of any kind. I like burst training. I do it uh, on my off days. I did it today. You know, and that's and that I, my favorite kind of uh, burst training is the peak training. Doing a peak eight, peak ten, peak twelve, whatever you can do, as far as that goes. And any kind of interval training, short, intense. When you're done, you're huffing and puffing, sweating type of thing, but it doesn't have to last more than 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Um, There's not an hour and a half run or time on an exercise bike, right? So short, intense, those kind of things start to build bigger pockets in your muscles for the sugar overflow and utilization. That is huge. It gets overlooked all the time, right? There's a lot of reasons it's good for you, but people think it's because it burns extra calories. It doesn't. It's not, it's not a caloric consideration in this. It's glycogen flexibility is a, is a big part of it. And then it's the hyperstimulation of the system because 
as you go through the hyperstimulation, the rebound effect is a soothing of the system for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? So you know, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, stress hormones come out when you're exercising. If you were just to look at that on paper, you'd be like, oh no, there's a problem. But no, it's supposed to happen. And then when it's over, the body goes, for, goes baseline up and exercise. When it's over and it calms down, it goes back below baseline. That's why people, athletes have low resting heart rate, not a high one. Right? But in their workouts, they have a high work, right? So same kind of concept. So again, the, the exercise intensity training uh, works on glycogen flexibility or the, gives you more pockets within your muscle to hold on to uh, uh, sugar so that you can use it or store it as needed, which makes you more metabolically flexible, which will also lower insulin, help absorb and shut off cortisol when it's high and so on. And that would in turn also help with your immune system and your in your adaptive and innate immune system. Is that where, where you're leading towards? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's that insulin effect that's keeping it partially raised all the time. So, you know, you're, you're cranking through, you're burning through stuff, you're metabolizing a lot going on with your exercise. And then that rebound effect as you come back down baseline lowers that insulin, right? And so your overall, it, it'll, it'll create your net exposure will be lower or throughout the day. Okay, so it has that kind of effect. And, and that ins lower insulin calms down sympathetics, allows the parasympathetics to go up, which is where the immune system thrives and it can do its job the best, uninhindered. And as we establish, you lower the insulin, vitamin D goes up, and vitamin D could help with uh, COVID. Correct. And exercise helps utilization of vitamin D, and vitamin D helps recovery from exercise. I mean, it's a center. Your body's smart. This is a synergistic process, you know, one scratching back, scratching the other back, and it's just, when it's working right, it's, it's beautiful, and it's harmonious, and it's healthy, and it's happy, and it feels good. And if you're not healthy, happy, feeling good, looking good, then something's off. It's not quite synergistic, and you just got to figure out what that is. Last question is, where does intermittent fasting play into all of this, uh, you know, related to our conversation? How can it benefit somebody? Intermittent fasting, what we're talking about now in today's terms is skipping breakfast is where you're talking, creating an eating window. Either, yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's, I'll, I'll give the example because most people are doing like an 18-6. So let's say somebody is doing an eating window of 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. and they're fasting outside of that. How could that benefit them? Well, a couple things. You know, I would shift it from 11 to 7 max, right? You know, or even go to 7 hours and get, not go past 6.30, Right? You want to eat during daylight times, right? metabolically and evolutionarily speaking. And because what will happen is then that cascade we talked about for falling asleep, then eventually that cortisol will wake you up. That will start to, to uh, calm down and settle down to a more predictable pattern, which is great. When we eat late at night, we kind of throw that off. We risk, we might fall asleep sooner, chances to wake up or to have disrupted sleep are higher. That's what the studies show right? As far as that goes. So, but what, if you're good at it, you're, you're metabolically flexible and you're doing this on a regular basis, your body will jump into different modes faster. And what happens is as soon as it starts to drop that insulin, human growth hormone goes up, right? The human growth hormone is repair hormone. So we start to repair and clean things out and that, that piggybacks with the immune system and it just it makes it all work better. If you're you know, if you go a little bit longer than that, you start to get the autophagy, you start to break down of broken parts of the cell or cells themselves. And then once that hits a certain point, then the cell genesis genes get turned on and you create stem cell genesis. And then depending on 
the demand in the body, they'll repopulate, could go to the brain, could go to the liver, could go to the pancreas, could go to muscle, wherever it needs to do. And then if you keep on the program, you'll keep them and they'll lock in. The big problem, people get they fast, they get insulin down, they get autophagy, they get stem cells going, and they even repopulate. But if you don't maintain the lifestyle, those repopulated cells will turn over. There's no point in creating all these beautiful, fantastic, priceless stem cells to rebuild your body if they're just going to die in a couple of days and you have a revolving door. And the, one of the biggest ways to keep that is to maintain some kind of plan for eating, keep exercising, keep sleeping so that those can lock in and, and they're not at risk of turnover. Yeah, awesome. So what you're saying is uh, intermittent fasting will have even more of an effect when you combine it with those other li healthy lifestyle behaviors as opposed to somebody who just eats a standard American diet. They sit most of the day, but they incorporate fasting. They're not going to get the benefits somebody else would if they did some of the other tools in the health toolbox. Yeah, chances are they'll move in the right direction, but there's, there's so much more available. And that's why having a plan is important. You got to have a plan. I do six months plans with my people. We have a fasting rotation. We work them up to a seven-day fast uh, in the middle, then we work them down, and everything is based around that. We have sleep elements around that. We have the progressive exor metabolic exercise around that. We have supportive stuff around that. You know, there's reasons a six-month plan, not a six-week plan, right? You got you to gotta train these systems like building a muscle, preparing for a marathon. You can't just do it on the fly. That's why when people say, oh, I'm, I heard about this fasting yesterday, and I'm going to try a week fast tomorrow. Who's with me? I'm like, good luck. Good luck, right? You know, that's, that's going to be trouble. And then they're going to say it sucked, and it was hard, and, you know, fasting didn't work for me, and I'm it's just bad. Yeah, I, I see that as well. I, I, I compare it to somebody who's like a couch potato and they hear about CrossFit and they go do a CrossFit workout tomorrow. It's going gonna, it's gonna to suck and they're going to say CrossFit sucks, but it was just you didn't prepare for it. Well, even people who are into this, like, like say I looked on my calendar and there's a marathon on Saturday. I don't run. I've never run, but I'm going to go do the marathon. But I do other things. I'm kind of fit. I take care of myself. I, that's still going to suck. Right? I'm still going to be in pain. I might not finish it. If I finish it, it'll be miserable, a terrible time, and I'll be suffering for weeks after, right? Because it doesn't matter. Even though you're in this world, doesn't mean you can translate that to everything in this world without preparation. And if you prepare, you get a whole lot more out of it. Will the, someone who's in this world who prepares get there faster, better? Probably. But doesn't mean you can just jump and think you can do, do everything tomorrow. So, Dr. Klum, where can my audience learn more about you? Maybe that program you mentioned, just check out your work. Where is the best place to check you out? Uh, right now, most of my clientele comes from my personal Facebook page. You can go follow that, Don Klum, personal. If you like it, that's my business. Don't, you don't have to do that. Go to my personal. You'll get much more uh, exposure there. I have hundreds of articles there, videos. I put up my teaching slides from the – I teach at medical continuing education seminars, and I, I put those up and I talk about them. And you can get it's all free. There's no nothing to sell. If they want to work with me, then they just message me. And they contact me. But I'm a you know low barrier of th threshold here for contact. So yeah, my Facebook page, and go from there. And just check out the culture first, and and then you know no obligation, and, and go from there. We'll put a, a link for your personal Facebook page in the notes of the podcast and on the YouTube video. So go check it out. It'll be down there. 
I encourage you to go check out Dr. Don Klum because I've gotten so much from your work over the last few years. A lot of the things, yeah, I'm sure you can relate, but when I, when I do my videos and when you do videos, when you do, there's bits and pieces that you've taken from other people and it's hard for you to kind of pinpoint, I learned this analogy from that person, but I've, I've learned so many, a lot of my analogies from you, for example, insulin is the bully of a block, the liver is a soccer mom organ of all organs, and I use these in my day-to-day -day, and it's a credit to your work. So I encourage the keto campers to go check out Don Klum. He has phenomenal resources. He studies his butt off. He researches, he applies it, he shows up every single day, and you would be amazed just by following his Facebook personal page what you will learn. It's like getting, it's, it's better than getting a college education. It's, it's really mind-blowing, and he's so consistent and detailed with his posts. So I encourage you to go check him out. I want to thank you, Dr. Klum, for coming on the show for the second time. You know, you were back in episode, I think it was um, episode nine, and uh, now you're back. We're in the mid-hundreds. So I look forward to doing it again with you, man. And I just love the work you're doing. Thank you for showing up on the podcast today. Absolutely. Anytime. I've, I love what you do and I've been doing. I've watched you from before you even started this stuff. We're going to the seminars, seeing the seminars together. And I think it's just great. I think your message is unique in a world that's everyone thinks they're unique, but they're not. And just your support and who you are and the way you show up. Count on me anytime, anywhere, I'll be there. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic conversation with Dr. Don Klum. Seriously, go give him a follow on his Facebook. We'll put a link for it down below. Check out his work. His posts every single week on Facebook are so thorough and so fantastic. It's like reading a book, <laughs> essentially. And um, we'll put a link for the first episode uh, we did episode nine of the Keto Camp podcast. If you want to learn more about his story and his 30-day fast and so much more, you can check that out. The video interview of this interview with Dr. Don Klum can be found on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Keto Camp is where you can find it. Go check out Dr. Don Klum's amazing work. I'd love for you to take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp podcast and post it on Instagram. Shoot me a tag at the Benazadi, B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I, when I see it, I'll share it, and we'll get some other keto campers following you back. If you want to learn more about keto and fasting, go check out my free ebook called The Keto Kickstart Guide. Go to ketokickstartguide.com, and if you want to get curated supplements delivered to your door, go to ketocampsupplements.com. If you enjoyed the conversation and you know somebody who can use this information that Dr. Don Clement and myself spoke about, Text this podcast to them right now. You could change their life. If they're eating a whole bunch of carbs, if they're not going outside and getting sun, they are going to expose themselves to a weak immune system. And right now, more than ever, health is our wealth. So I encourage you to text this to a friend. And please, please, one more time, please leave the show a rating and review. It really helps. And if you've gotten any value from the show, please do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you're listening from, take a minute today and leave the show a rating and review. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. You'll hear me on the next one.
This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.